Section 6, Part 6. A Narrative, etc., etc. It was now late in the day. The rain had ceased, and the atmosphere had become more clear, and with it our apprehensions had vanished. For we could perceive that the stranger was no man of war, nor was she in pursuit of us, but standing a different course. I began to wish that night would come on, for I had resolved in my own mind to attempt my escape under cover of the darkness, to kill the pilot and the other Spaniard, for only two were on board, and take the vessel to New Orleans. This I hoped to accomplish as I counted upon the assistance of the two men who had been left on board. The pirate, however, was too guarded, for at dusk the gunner of the corsair was sent on board, and I was taken back. The prisoners on board were ordered down into the hold, with the exception of the steward of the industry, who was sent into the cabin. Sentries were then placed over the hatchways, and the prisoners charged, on the peril of their lives, not to come upon deck. All three vessels came to an anchor close by each other, outside the reef, and as soon as the necessary arrangements were made for their safety, a council was held to deliberate on the disposal of the prisoners. Some question having arisen, I was sent for to inform them what quantity of coffee was in the Vitoria, and how much rum on board the industry, with the relative value of each. On being informed, the captain declared the rum not worth their attention, and talked of destroying the latter vessel. I remained to hear the result of their deliberations, anxious for the safety of the unfortunate wretches who, like myself, had fallen into their hands. The debate was warm, part wished to put them to death and throw them overboard, and part, more merciful, wished that the industry might be suffered to proceed and take them with her. I joined my entreaties to this effect, and, after much altercation, the latter alternative was chosen, much to the dissatisfaction of the more sanguinary party. The sentinels prevented any communication with the English prisoners, so that I could not inform them of their fate. I was then ordered below, and the captain left the corsair to visit the two brigs, leaving her in charge of the prize-master. On his return he told me that he should grant my request and give up the industry, and then gave orders to the prize-master to that effect, giving strict injunctions, however, to detain the clothes of both the crews. He then went on shore, as he said, to overtake the third mate at the Cavanias, and to give him instructions to send vessels down from the Havana, with bags for the purpose of sending the Vitoria's coffee to market. I dreaded much that the captain's absence would be the cause of the ill-treatment, if not of the murder of the prisoners on board, nor were my fears without foundation. One of the fiends, who had wished to put them to death, now proposed to carry the diabolical plan into immediate execution, but was opposed by the prize-master in charge. Deeming him the only obstacle, he watched his opportunity, and while he was reclining against one of the guns, made an attempt to dispatch him with his knife. The blow, fortunately for us all, failed, and the cries of his intended victim roused the crew to his assistance, who inflicted summary justice on the bloodthirsty miscreant, and in their fury put him instantly to death. This attempt so alarmed me that I kept awake the remainder of the night, 
as also did the industry's steward, who was in the cabin with me. We drew as close together as we dared, and conversed in low whispers during the night, ceasing, however, when we heard anyone approach. And I took that opportunity of communicating my unfortunate situation, and what I had suffered since I had been a prisoner, with which he seemed much affected and sincerely pitied my case. In the morning, the crew of both vessels, with the exception of Captain Hearn, his mate, a passenger, and the industry steward, were employed in getting the Vitoria under way. Seeing Captain Hearn upon deck, I obtained leave of the prize-master to address him. I then informed him of my unfortunate situation, and told him that I should escape the first favorable opportunity. At his request, I obtained his coffee certificates for him from the prize-master, but could not succeed in obtaining the restoration of any part of their clothes which the pirates were resolved to keep. Between one and the other, I was often placed in an awkward dilemma. If I applied for the restoration of any part of the plunder, the pirates became exasperated, and I incurred the risk of ill-treatment. If, on the other hand, for the sake of my personal safety I declined any interference, I was immediately charged with a want of feeling, and the motives misrepresented. That such has been the case, I have had good reason to know and the prejudices which these misrepresentations excited were nearly fatal to me on a recent occasion. The Corsair and the Vittoria were now under way, and the prisoners, except the Dutchmen, having performed the task assigned to them, had been transferred on board the industry. The prize-master, therefore, desired me to hail Captain Cook, and to tell him that he was at liberty to pursue his voyage." Although it was in a great measure owing to my interference, and that, too, at the risk of my own life and personal safety, that the lives of himself and the rest had been spared, and his vessel given back to him, yet since my return to this country, when I was standing on peril of my life, this man did not show the common feelings of gratitude. I received even more kindness from the pirates themselves, brutes as they were, than from this man. Not content with misrepresentations and misstatements, willful and premeditated, he has even had the audacity to invent most atrocious falsehoods in order to poison the minds of those whose duty it was to sit in judgment upon me. The Corsair and her prize stood along the reef towards Rio Omedia, but as the former was the fastest sailor, she soon shot ahead, and the other was left to come up after her. In the afternoon, another English vessel hove in sight. But as she was too far in the offing to come up with her before dark, the pirates would not go in chase, but continued on their course to the harbor, where she arrived in the evening, and let go her anchor near their former prize. As the Vittoria was not expected till the morning, in consequence of her heavy sailing, no anxiety was felt on her account during the night but her non-appearance in the morning excited surprise as well as fear, and conjecture was busy deciding on her fate. A messenger, in the meantime, arrived from the magistrate for me, but the prize-master replied that the captain had forbidden my going on shore. About two o'clock in the afternoon, the corsair's boat, containing the men that had been left in charge of the Vittoria, was seen coming towards us, and it was then imagined that she had been recaptured,
and that they had therefore abandoned her. On inquiry, however, it appeared that they had taken the vessel we had seen the day before for a ship of war, and, fearful of the consequences, had run the Vittoria on the reef, and, having abandoned her, left the Dutchman on board to be retaken. This act of cowardice highly exasperated the pirates on board, who rated them severely, and would have returned in the Corsair to the spot had not the captain been hourly expected. During the confusion excited by this event, the old magistrate arrived and was received with due honors by the prize-master. He descended into the cabin to have his wound dressed, and while I was so employed informed me that he had taken measures to have the man punished who had circulated the scandalous report about his daughter and myself. After apologizing for his conduct on that occasion, he informed me that he should pay me a visit shortly, accompanied by Serafina. He then returned on shore, taking with him presents of gin and cheeses. About midnight, the pirates were thrown into an alarm by the arrival of a boat, which proved to be the Dutchman, who had been driven out of the Victoria by fishermen, who came to plunder her. A boat with eight armed men was immediately dispatched to protect the prize, but she had already been plundered of eight tierces of coffee. I have been informed that Captain Hearn and his crew were put on board a man-of-war by the industry a few days after her release. If so, why was not search made after the pirates and their prizes, and the latter recaptured? For seven days she remained not five leagues from the place where she was captured, and, what is still more important, on the exterior edge of the reef and exposed to view. Perhaps it was anticipated that the pirates had plundered her of her cargo, and that, therefore, the salvage would not have been sufficient to repay them for their trouble. Is not this a very strong proof of the gross and culpable negligence of the admiral and officers upon that station? Ships of war, forsooth, could be found at all times, and ready at a very short notice to convey specie, and when so employed would make direct voyage and pay no attention to that duty upon which they had been sent, the protection of mercantile property. Well might the merchants and the underwriters complain, but of what avail were those complaints when such open and glaring dereliction of duty was daily and hourly committed, and glossed over by the lords of the admiralty, instead of being inquired into and severely punished. Pirate interest was, however, considered of more importance, and the public commerce, the trade of the country, appeared as nothing when put in competition with it. How many lives have been sacrificed, how many thousand pounds worth of property plundered, and how much misery and suffering to individuals has this daring breach of a public duty occasioned? But to my narrative. The captain, not having returned on the following morning, the schooner weighed and ran down to the Vittoria, and on the same day two vessels arrived for the coffee from the Havana. These were immediately laden, and the Vittoria, having become lighter in consequence of the discharge of so much of her cargo, floated off the reef. Sail was immediately made on her, and both vessels directed their course towards Rio Omedia the next day. In the afternoon, however, the Jamaica fleet hove in sight, and the Vittoria was once more drawn on the outer edge of the reef, while the Corsair stood in and anchored. 
Here again was another culpable instance of neglect. The whole fleet, with the man of war at their head, passed within a league of the place where the Vittoria was lying full in their view, and evidently a prize to the pirates. Yet no notice whatever was taken. At that moment one boat would have captured both vessels, as a great number of the corsair's crew were absent, and his means of defense were consequently weakened. The pirates in the Rio Omedia had now become too notorious for the government to countenance them any longer, and a body of police was consequently dispatched, bringing with them instructions to the magistrates to give them every assistance in their search for plundered property. This information no sooner reached the old magistrate than he sent down to the Dutch vessel, took out the men on board, and dispatched them to the Corsair, and then set fire to her where she was. She soon burned to the water's edge, and then floating was carried away by the current, so that not a vestige remained. The Vittoria, in the meantime, had been got off the reef a second time, and, having been brought into the harbor, was run upon a mud-bank, while the Corsair gave notice to the inhabitants of her safe return by discharging her guns. A message soon after arrived from the captain at Casablanco, desiring that the Dutchman might be instantly set at liberty, and sent away on board a small vessel belonging to the pirates, and that a boat might be dispatched for him. This messenger informed us that a party of police, thirty in number, had been searching through the villages for plundered property. But as soon as the report of the Corsair's guns had reached their ears, they made a precipitate retreat. Such was the dependence that was to be placed on those cowardly wretches. The Dutch prisoners were released, and sent away the following day, but what became of them I never heard whether they succeeded in reaching their native shore, or whether they were, like myself, apprehended on charges of piracy, as they had assisted as well in several captures, and were not so fortunate in being able to establish their innocence, is a question that I am unable to answer. They were released, however, according to the order, and I envied them their fate. The magistrate and Serafina soon after visited us. The former confirmed the tale of the messenger relative to the conduct of the police. They were accompanied by a number of young ladies who Serafina informed me, having heard of my case, had come to consult me. She lamented bitterly our disappointment, and told me that the cause of it was now suffering for his perfidy in a prison. Two priests and a magistrate, accompanied by four females, added to the number of the company on board. These visits appeared to be for the sake of getting what they could from the pirates. The priests, as usual, exercised all the chicanery of their craft, and were well paid for it. They visited the Vittoria, and took all her charts and maps for household ornaments, and having returned on board, caroused till dusk, when the whole party took their leave. On the second day the captain returned, and was furious when informed of the circumstances of the Vittoria so much so that the pilot who had been on board of her narrowly escaped with his life. The third mate soon after arrived with two coasting vessels from the Havana, which were speedily loaded with the remainder of the Vittoria's cargo. The pirates at all times found great facility in disposing of their plunder by these coasting vessels who were always ready not only to receive it, 
but also frequently lent their crews to assist in the capture and to board vessels. A whole week had nearly passed without any remarkable occurrence, when another piratical schooner entered Rio Omedia. Her captain informed us that he had plundered three English vessels, out of one of which he had detained a carpenter, who, he said, was an excellent workman. This unfortunate wretch I did not see, but I was informed that he was assassinated as soon as he had completed the task for which he had been detained, and I have no reason to disbelieve it. From the conversation of the pirate, I learned the system on which these vessels are fitted out. He informed our captain that he had entered into an agreement with the owner to put guns, muskets, and every other article secretly on board at the Havana, and then clear her out, as it were for a neighboring port, in charge of a master. At night, when she anchored along the coast, he boarded and took possession of her, setting the master ashore. The owner, on receiving the intelligence, made a complaint to the governor that his vessel was seized by pirates, and the master, confirming it by his statement, everybody believed it to be the fact, while the other was sharing the plunder, without the suspicion of being particeps criminis. Having completed her fitting out with sails and spars from the Vitoria, at the end of five days the pirate took his departure. A few days after, the corsair captured a French vessel from Veracruz, with a large quantity of specie on board. The Frenchman was rather obstinate in his endeavor to conceal the money, and I witnessed a repetition of the brutality practiced on former occasions, by which means a confession was extorted, and the specie found. The money on board was chiefly in dollars, and the captain sent word on shore that he would give a premium of four dollars on every doubloon. This favorable rate of exchange soon brought priests and magistrates on board, particularly the former, and these holy men, by these means, became partakers of one-fourth of the plunder. I became at this time very ill with an attack of fever, and my wounds broke out afresh. I attributed this to the closeness of the ship from the prisoners being kept constantly below, and, for the sake of my own health, as well as others, suggested it to the captain who allowed them to walk the deck during the day. When I had recovered a little, an American brig fell into their hands, but the captain having at once delivered up his money, and pointed out the most valuable part of his cargo, was very well treated by the pirate. His watch, however, had attracted the notice of the prize-master, and, as he did not surrender that so readily, he was on the point of being assassinated. But, to save his life, he gave it up, although he wanted to recover it, when released subsequently, declaring, on that occasion, that he had only lent it under promise of having it restored, when done with. The crew of the French vessel was transferred to the American on the following day, and she was piloted out of the reef and allowed to go on her voyage. An attack of intermittent fever shortly after confined me to my mattress. Under this fit of illness I labored for fifteen days and was much reduced. During all this time I was left to shift for myself, but experienced much kindness and attention from Serafina, who, when she heard of my illness, frequently visited me, and brought with her every little thing that she thought might conduce to my comfort. 
When I had partially recovered, I solicited permission to go on shore, but the request was brutally denied under the plea that I only wished to escape. Soon after this refusal, while I was on deck one very calm morning, a schooner was discovered in the offing. I was peremptorily ordered aloft to look at her, and had begun to ascend the rigging, but so weak and exhausted was I that I expected to fall every moment. The captain observed my condition, and for once had the humanity to desire me to remain on deck, and went aloft himself. When he came down, a boat with armed men was dispatched to board, as it was a dead calm, and the Corsair would have made very little way herself had her anchor been weighed. The boat's crew took possession of her without any resistance, although the schooner was large and well manned. A breeze springing up soon after they were in possession, they brought their prize into the harbor when the captain went on board of her. As soon as he returned, he informed me that the prize was an American, and that she had on board of her, as passengers, a Spanish officer and his wife. But the latter, he added, was extremely ill from seasickness and the bad treatment of the captain, who had been brute enough to deny her many little comforts, and requested I would go on board and prescribe for her. He was much exasperated against the captain for this act, and was determined to murder him, and the finding no money on board tended not a little to confirm him in his resolution. In a short time, however, the officer and his wife were brought on board the Corsair, and I was saved the fatigue of visiting the prize. I confess I had no difficulty in prescribing for her, nourishment being all that she required, but she was evidently in a delicate state of health. Her husband appeared to be a great brute, and to care very little about her, as he began to drink and carouse with the pirates almost as soon as he came on board, paying no attention to his wife. I took the opportunity of my attending on her to inform her of the captain's threat, and prevailed upon her to join her entreaties with mine, that the American's life might be spared. She did so when the pirate visited her, and at our joint solicitation he escaped that summary punishment which he had drawn down upon his head for his unfeeling conduct to this poor woman." It was customary with the pirate to make the crew of a prize, if possible, drunk, in order, in that unguarded moment, to obtain from them a knowledge of all that was on board. He had on this occasion been very liberal in his allowance of spirits to the crew of the schooner, who were prisoners on board and were partly Irish. Intoxication soon led to quarreling, and a fight then took place which afforded very great merriment to the pirates, who laughed very heartily at it. The officer and his wife had a mattress prepared for them next to mine in the cabin, where they slept that night. To the latter I was very assiduous in my attentions, and made up little messes of arrowroot and wine, and did all in my power to administer to her comfort. For these attentions she was remarkably grateful, but manifested a degree of warmth in her gratitude that I was fearful would lead to serious consequences. One night, after we had retired to our respective mattresses, I was surprised, when I awoke about midnight, to find the lady by my side and her arm thrown round my neck, fast asleep. I awakened her gently and respectfully informed her of her mistake. She made no reply, but returned to the side of her lawful spouse. 
I looked upon this as a mere accident arising from the contiguity of our mattresses, and therefore thought no more of it. On the following night, however, I was again roused from my slumbers by her caresses, but on this occasion the consequences were nearly fatal to me. The husband awoke just at the same instant, and missing his wife and seeing her by my side, vociferated so loudly as to awaken both her and the captain, but I thought it most prudent for myself to counterfeit sleep. At her first awakening she gave a faint scream, but soon recovered her presence of mind and succeeded in pacifying her enraged husband, whom she convinced that the mistake had occurred in her sleep, and that his honor remained uninjured, which he the more readily believed, from my being apparently asleep. The pirate, who at first had felt inclined to treat the matter seriously, now burst into a loud laugh, in which I could scarce refrain from joining. For several days the Corsair remained out at sea, having on board the American crew, and cruised backwards and forwards in hope of falling in with the peacock of New York, which the captain of the prize had informed the pirate was to touch at the Havana, and was richly laden, having besides a large quantity of specie on board. Whether the other had invented the information with the hope of being more speedily liberated, or whether the peacock had been fortunate enough to escape the pirate's vigilance, I do not know. But after an ineffectual cruise of some days, he returned into harbor and gave up the pursuit. In revenge, he plundered the schooner he had captured, and having taken out everything of any value, he gave her up to the crew, and ordered them to go to New Orleans, but on the peril of their lives not to pursue their voyage to the Havana. The Spanish officer, when he heard the mandate, begged to be detained on board, and to be sent thither the first favorable opportunity. As the pirate did not apprehend any bad consequences from this indulgence, his request was granted, and the American sailed without him. Ever since the occurrences of that evening, the Spaniard kept a jealous eye upon his fair partner, and I was equally reserved and cautious in my communications with her but her own imprudence had nearly rendered all my precautions abortive. I was below in the cabin, mixing some medicine for a sick man, when the lady slipped from her husband and came down. She had no sooner entered the cabin than she seated herself on my knee, and very familiarly putting her arm round my neck, gave me a kiss. The officer, who had followed her almost the instant she left him, entered at the moment, and with most furious gesticulation, rushed upon deck, and called upon the captain to inflict summary punishment upon me. The lady, however, stood my friend on this occasion as on the former, and declared that her husband must have been mistaken, as no such thing had occurred. She then explained the cause of being seen on my knee, and said that she had slipped in consequence of the motion of the vessel, and I had caught her in my arms, and had saved her from falling and seriously hurting herself. As there was a swell, and the vessel occasionally gave a lurch, the tale had the air of probability, and the captain declared that punishment was out of the case. The officer put on a constrained air of satisfaction, but I was convinced he would watch an opportunity of revenge, and was not at all sorry when, on the following day, he took his departure in a coasting schooner, his expenses being defrayed by the pirate. 
All this time the Vitoria lay on the mud-bank, exposed to the full view of every ship that passed. Yet no attempts were made to recapture her. The pirate used often to say in joke that the naval officers on the station thought it better amusement to drink and enter into every species of debauchery at the Havana than to look after pirates or attempt to attack them. And from what I myself experienced, I verily believe the assertion to be fact. Nothing of importance occurred for several days, and the Corsair remained quietly at anchor. One night, however, a letter was brought from the magistrate, intimating that the governor of the Havana had adopted hostile measures, and that one hundred soldiers were expected over land, and that five gunboats were to come down inside the reef in four or five days, and therefore advised him to be on his guard. On the following morning the magistrate himself came on board, and added that he had received the most positive orders to render every assistance, by information or otherwise, to this armament. He then advised the captain to destroy the Vitoria as soon as ever the forces approached, of which he would give him his signal. The pirate now became apprehensive for his own safety, and resolved to go to Cape Sant'Antonio for a while. This resolution he communicated to the magistrate, and obtained a promise from him to send a boat with communications of all that might occur in his absence. These preliminaries having been arranged, preparations were made for sailing, and the magistrate took his leave. On the following morning we proceeded outside the reef down to Cape Sant'Antonio, and came to an anchor off that place. The magistrate, who was apprehensive of consequences, destroyed the Vitoria the day after the pirate sailed. The Corsair had lain at anchor for ten days, but still no information reached her of the expected armament, and all began to look upon it as a false alarm. About nine o'clock of the evening of the eleventh day, however, the promised boat arrived to inform the pirate that he might expect the gunboats at Cape Sant'Antonio on the following day. After having performed his mission, the messenger immediately returned in order to pass the boats unobserved while it was dark, and every preparation was made on board to prevent surprise. The morning was fine, clear, and calm. There was not a ripple on the sea. Its surface was like a mirror, and not a breath of air was stirring. The gunboats were discovered at an early hour pulling towards the Corsair, who did not seem disposed to wait their arrival. The anchor was quickly weighed, and with her sweeps she was taken without the reef. The boats were about three miles from her, and, with a glass, all the movements could be distinctly observed. Had the officers who commanded them possessed the least spirit of enterprise, the Corsair must have fallen into their hands. But my firm belief is that they were as much afraid of attacking the pirate as he was that they would attack him. He had become desperate, and had resolved upon not yielding easily, declaring he would do his utmost to sink them. At noon a breeze sprung up, of which the Corsair took advantage, and ran for Rio Omedia, while the gunboats came to an anchor. The anchor was scarcely down when the magistrate was on board to inform the captain that the Vitoria's capture was unknown to the troops and gunboats, as she was totally destroyed before their arrival, and that the latter would remain off the Cape for some days. Having so far obliged his friend, he departed, 
promising to repeat his visit on the following day, accompanied by several others who were coming to congratulate him. The night was spent in watchfulness, and the day brought the promised party, consisting of the old magistrate and his daughter, with three or four ladies and several other magistrates and priests. The whole were well entertained on board, and the latter were by no means sparing of the wines and spirits that were set before them. Serafina seized the first opportunity of informing me of all that she had done during my absence, and raised my hopes by saying that she had engaged another and more trustworthy guide for our escape, and that it only wanted an opportunity to avail ourselves of his services. We dwelt upon this interesting theme, devising the means, when a general movement for departure broke off our conversation. She took a warm and affectionate leave of me for the night, and this was the last interview I had with this kind, warm-hearted, and benevolent creature. Her kindness soothed me in my captivity, and I shall never forget her. End of Section 6, Part 6